From the front row of the theater to your headphones, this is your Wednesday matinee. The WICB podcast for all things Broadway. We are your hosts, Connor Hibbard and Lou Barron, two certified theater kids with a lot of knowledge and even more opinions. What more can we say? Listeners of your Wednesday matinee, if you have been following us for quite some time, you are aware that Connor has the tendency to mispronounce a name or two just about every time we record an episode. And today we're actually focusing on one of those names that he mispronounces quite frequently. You've probably heard me correct him at least five to six times on this particular name. We are today doing the composer profile of the I was gonna say the one and only, but it's two people. Pasic and Paul. Pasic. All right. I still couldn't remember if it was Pasic or Pasic. I will I use it's them a, it's interchangeably. A willful, it's a willful ignorance on your part. I oh, think. oh, a hundred and ten percent. If you're not familiar, the Pasic and Paul duo. Oh, Pasic. Did I just do it again? You, I literally. Did you not forget. do that on purpose? I thought you were no, doing that despite me. I oh, literally no. for, forgot so quickly. Oh no. Um, the the Pasic and Paul duo are uh pretty young they're in their mid-30s they are and they have written five musicals and they have have written a lot for a couple of films Mm -hmm. and they are very very popular largely thank they've done a lot of work but they're very uh popular largely thanks to the mega hit success that is dear evan hansen it does bother me still when people are like, oh, yes, Pask and Paul, the up-and-coming duo. It's like, no, yeah. they're not up-and-coming. They arrived. They arrived like five years ago or more. Yeah, they, they're here. So, but when they really were up-and-coming was when they wrote Edges in 2005. They were both in the – they actually were both, I believe, musical theater BFAs at the University of Michigan, believe mm-hmm. it or not – But Mm -hmm. as they themselves have said, they were the two worst students of the musical theater class that year. So they decided, hmm, what could we be better at than this? And they started writing together. And this is their first kind of foray into writing musical theater that really, really broke out in some kind of way. Edges, 2005. A song cycle about coming of age, self-discovery, and growth in young people. There are a lot of songs associated with Edges. They wrote a lot of music for it. And in every production of Edges that you'll see today, it's usually a different combination of these songs. No two companies do Edges in the exact same way. It's also a flexible cast. You can do it with as few as four actors. Or in my case, when I did it at my high school, I think there were 13 of us, which is... Too many, I think. I think it was kind of a lot, but we made it work and it was really beautiful in a lot of ways to have that many people. I'll actually pass it to to Connor, who was very new to Edges. Um, what did you think when you listened to these songs that I sent you? It it was fine. I wasn't blown away or anything. I thought the mm-hmm. songs generally sounded good. I thought some of the lyricism at times was a little repetitive and not too what I would have appreciated. So yeah, they were they were green. They were inexperienced. And I recognized that this was a very commendable first show to have. Yeah, I think 
I, I agree with, with everything that you said. They're definitely, you can tell that they're young and they're kind of new to this, but it's a very impressive splash for being mm-hmm. new to it. <laughs> and I think the harmonies that they write in the, for, you know, the four part harmonies are really excellent. Yeah, I, th- I think through writing these songs, they were definitely experimenting and finding their voice, both musically and lyrically. If there's a song that that people would likely know as a one-off, it might be In Short, because In Short is a very popular cabaret song. Mm-hmm. As is I've Gotta Run, actually. So I think people are more likely to know these songs in terms of cabaret settings, which makes sense because it's a song cycle. Yeah, sure. Edges. Why not? All right. Moving on. <laughs> to their next musical, bit different, James and the Giant Peach from 2010, an adaptation of the Roald Dahl children's book that follows a boy, James, who runs away from home, living amongst animal friends in a giant peach. So, yeah, it's a children's show. So, like, what do you expect, really? Yeah, I know that this this show, I think, was originally kind of tracked for Broadway. There were a bunch of out-of-town tryouts that I think at the time they were hoping would lead to a Broadway run, but the show didn't really make sense in that way. It didn't cut it in that way. It wasn't going to be a Seussical, you know? Mm-hmm. So Unfortunately. They, yeah, unfortunately. So it went through a bunch of edits through its out-of-town tryouts and then eventually found its permanent home in the children's theater catalog. So I have never seen it or been a part of it, but I have been kind of adjacent to multiple, like either community children's theater or the, I know they did it at my camp a couple years before I started doing the theater there. So it's very much that kind of show that is great for children to perform. And James and the Giant Peach is an absolutely amazing Roald Dahl book. It's a it's a very famous yeah. book. So I'm not surprised that it makes like a solid children's musical too. Yeah, it's it's it exists in that fine children's theater place. I just it wasn't wasn't meant to be on Broadway. If you are a, a director saying what what am I going to do with all these children that I have that want to be in a musical? Well. <laughs> There's Consider an idea. James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> I have all these children yeah. who want to be in a musical, and I have this humongous peach growing in my backyard. Whatever will I do? <laughs> I have a suggestion. Edges from 2005, a song cycle. Okay. Well, onto a onto a much uh, much more mature musical. <laughs> there could not be a musical more different from James and the Giant Peach, <laughs> truly, than their next outing. Dogfight from 2012. Another one that stayed off Broadway has become a cult classic for many musical theater freaks and geeks like myself. This is one of my favorite shows ever. Mm. If you take one thing away from this podcast, let it be Dogfight. Listen to Dogfight, please. Mm. Yeah, please go agree. listen to Dogfight. Okay, but the notion before we even get into this. Uh, In 1963, three Marines play a game in which the man who takes the ugliest date to a party wins $150. It's a lot of money. 
It is a lot of money, especially back then. Complications mm-hmm. ensue when Marine Eddie Birdlace and his date, Rose Fenny, form an unexpected connection. Where do I even start with this? I love this show so much. I know I already talked about First Date last night in duets. One thing I think I can definitely say about the musical as a whole is that it flows so well. The pacing of this musical is immaculate. You can feel that on the album and there is a slime tutorial on the web if you Mm -hmm. would like to check it out. For for those who don't know, a slime tutorial is just what the kids No, no, don't tell them. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. But that people would be really confused. No. It's it's no? that's the point. That's the point. Okay. Slime well, tutorial. if you look up if you look up dogfight slime tutorial, it'll be Lindsay Mendez and Derek Klenna <laughs> teaching you how to make slime. Yes. It'll be fun. To uh, yes. So I yeah, it's been a while since I've watched the full slime tutorial. However, I remember then as well that the scenes, like the book of dogfight, is also incredible. Just this this show goes so many places that musical theater does not often go. This is the kind of musical where I think in the beginning, it's kind of like you're standing far away from a train track and you see someone, in this case Rose, kind of like tied to the train track and you can see the train coming and you can't do anything about it and it's excruciating. You're like, oh my God, like this is gonna end horribly and you can just see it from so far away and you're like oh god and you're pulling your hair out and then it's just as devastating as you imagined it would be but then once we pass that point we see this unexpected connection that they form which maybe the experienced musical theater goer would think oh they'll probably yeah you know get to a place where they can where they like each other, they have a good moment. But then the real whammy of the show, I don't think you see coming as an audience member because it's so focused on Eddie and Rose. And then it has this flip to being focused on Vietnam and the situation and the larger factors at play that made these men the way they are. And the end is just, it's devastating in a way that is different but equally if not more powerful than the devastating or than the devastation you feel when you see what's going to happen to rose so i listened to dogfight for the first time yesterday so you could say it was my first date with dogfight and lou you listened to it last (laughs) night so you could say we had a first date last night sort of scenario Ooh. Ooh, ah. ooh um the songs were really great. Lindsay Mendez blew me away with her performance. Ugh. She is always spectacular. So good. And then Derek Klenna's always was was really wonderful. And yeah, I was expecting not to like it as much as I did. But this is a real winner. To your point about the ending, though, I think Come Back is maybe the best song in the show for me. I adored mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. However, I think the ending was too much of a turn for me. I think it went too big and it was such a nice personal contained story. And then I think it went a little too big at the end. I think it overplayed its hand a little bit. Yeah. You know, you make a really good point there that I had not thought of. I think it it could potentially feel like 
a bit of whiplash, especially yeah. just listening to the album. I mm-hmm. think you get a bit more meat there in the book that you just kind of, you sure. don't see these things kind of being foreshadowed when you're just listening to the music because the music is pretty much all focused on Eddie and Rose until mm-hmm. the very end. And I mean, you kind of do get a hint of it, I think, in Hometown Hero, Ticker Tape Parade. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the only song I think that foreshadows the end at all. Oh, and another thing I should say about Dogfight is that it's never been on Broadway. It was only an off-Broadway production. And I think that makes sense for Dogfight. Yes, but I, I agree also, very much. But I also want it to be on Broadway <laughs> yeah. just for me. Because here's the thing. Like when they had, when they did Dogfight, they didn't have the, the power in the industry that they do today. So I really think that if they oh, yeah. wanted to mount Dogfight on Broadway now, they could. And they might not want to, and that would be valid because they don't want it to have that huge house and they would want it to be a more intimate production whenever it's done. That makes sense, and I would respect that. But my heart also wants <laughs> as many people as possible to see Dogfight. Yeah, I could see them mounting a production of Dogfight, and I would go and see it. Yeah, I you would, know what I would, I would not go and there. see? Oh no! Okay. A Christmas Story the musical from 2013, an adaptation of the 1984 or 1983 film rather. A young boy in Indiana in the 1940s wants a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas. Hilarity ensues. The movie is just great. The musical is terrible, just really out of principle. I did see a touring production of this. Like truthfully. Like, what is even the point of of going in depth about a Christmas story? It exists as a purely capitalistic enterprise. There's nothing artful about it. So I feel like they kind of try to shoehorn in this classic musical theater message about, like, make it all wholesome at the end. And it just annoys me because the movie A Christmas Story is so wonderfully, beautifully cynical. And I think that pretty much all gets lost in a big budget spectacle musical okay yeah i've never seen a christmas story i listened to it last night for the first time it did feel kind of classic musical theater to me pretty peppy love a boy soprano yeah i didn't have any super strong feelings about it maybe i would have had i seen a production but i did enjoy the song when you're a wimp because that was very funny and I also wanted more Liz Calloway because Liz Calloway was in this and she only really sure. got one song. And <laughs> I, I love her, her voices, as you know, if you heard me talk about Anastasia at all. But yeah, it fine. It also got them their first Tony nom, though. They were nominated yeah. for a Tony Award for the uh, lyrics. That's interesting. And composition. Yeah. And interestingly enough, actually... There was kind of a bet going on between Pascal Paul and some producer, I'm forgetting who, but he loaned them a couple thousand dollars to go and write and dedicate themselves to writing musical theater in the mountains for a summer when they were very young and had not had any success yet. And this producer said, hey, I'm giving you this money as a loan. And you will pay me back when you are nominated for a Tony within the next 10 years. And they were with a Christmas nice. story. So they paid him back. And nice. he tried to not let them pay him back. But I think they did anyway. So hmm, interesting. Uh, yeah, that's kind that. of a cute story that goes along with 
the Christmas story. I think it's they they brought it back for the live TV version, which was a curious choice to me. But I think it's pretty much dead now, and we should just leave it that way. Anyway, <laughs> so if you've noticed up to this point, Pasek and Paul, um, Paul and Pasek, as they may be known. I don't think <laughs> they're known as that anywhere, but go on. <laughs> they, they've been kind of marginally increasing their profile. They would, of course skyrocket their profile for uh with dear evan hansen which we're not going to talk about yet because we want a short diversion on two films that they were a part of they wrote lyrics for a couple of songs from la la land for 2016 if you've never seen la la land the notion is an aspiring actress and jazz musician fall in love in los angeles that's kind of the most simplistic definition i can give this amazing film i loved it a lot that was the year it went up against Moonlight, and there was the big controversy at the Oscars of there was. You know, that La La Land won, but Moonlight actually won. And I do think my little tangent is that Moonlight is a better film and deserved to win. However, La La Land is beautiful, and the songs that they wrote, they wrote lyrics, just lyrics for City of Stars and Audition, I believe, um, are just the best and most iconic songs from that movie. If you've never seen La La Land, I mean, it's incredible. I really think it's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved La La Land. I I know a lot of people had a very visceral reaction of hatred against La La Land, too. Yeah, I never understood um, that. Yeah, I just thought it, I don't know. I think it's definitely both of our kind of classic movie musical sensibilities. Yeah. Where we were like, oh my gosh, they made one of these today. And it was it was very exciting. I think we, we had the same reaction as as many of our parents honestly in terms of like oh my gosh they don't do it like this anymore mm-hmm. you know no they don't and i mean yeah and i i think that is why as as you have said moonlight deserved to win because it was new mm-hmm. and la la land was definitely a callback to some of the classics of oh, old yeah. so 100% yeah yeah what's the other movie you wanted to talk about I'll just let you talk about this one, I think. I don't think I need to say anything. The Greatest Showman was released in 2018. This original movie musical follows the life of P.T. Barnum, (laughs) Circus Extraordinaire. I, truth, really never understood why everyone loves this movie so much. So I saw Greatest Showman before I saw Dear Evan Hansen, and this kind of kick-started my dislike for, for Pasek and Paul because all the songs sound the same in this movie and they're all bad they're all they all have the same structure like listen to this is me this is me annoys me so much you know what we're gonna save it for dear van hansen and then i'll connect it back to the greatest showman don't watch the greatest showman please please and then and then i hear like oh we're gonna make a stage musical of it maybe that'd be fun no stop it (laughs) also this is people always come up to me and they're like you haven't seen Greatest Showman? Why haven't you seen Greatest Showman? How have you avoided Greatest Showman? Uh, and I everywhere. just, all I can tell you is that I just, I have. I've never seen it. And I, you. I mean, I don't know. I know a lot of people love it. I kind of want to see it just to see what I actually think about Please it because I don't have an opinion. But Please don't. it's, I, I guess it's good to know that you, you dislike it very much. Save yourself. Okay. Save yourself the, the anguish. <laughs> All right. Dear Evan Hansen, 2016, the mega smash hit of Mm -hmm. Pask and Paul. 
the notion, a troubled, isolated high schooler becomes involved with the family of a deceased classmate. So, before Connor rips me to shreds, <laughs> I think I will share my personal experience of Dear Evan Hansen, and then Please. he can attempt to tell me why I am wrong. My first experience of Dear Evan Hansen is a very vivid memory in my brain. I was sitting in my high school Spanish class, sophomore year. The, the most vivid part of this memory is when I listened to the song For Forever for the first time. And at this point, I had no context for the plot of the show at all. And I listened to this song and I had to stop myself from just bawling in the middle of class because it hit such a deep chord somewhere within me that was like, I don't even know what this is about, but I want to cry right now. And because it was just so beautiful. And then that December... It, this was 2016, December of 2016. I went to Dear Evan Hansen, and I, like many in the frenzied Dear Evan Hansen fan audience around me, definitely got swept up in the moment of watching the musical for the first time. I Okay, when it comes to the actual plot and the things that happen in the musical, I was like, okay... This is far-fetched, but musical theater is far-fetched. So why not? Why not, you know? Why not go there? And in terms of the score, which I know Connor also has feelings about, I will say that it does its job of making you as an audience member feel stuff. And it does what musical theater does very well. All right. So... I sat front row on Broadway for this. You're probably Very... showered and spit. I was a little off center, so it worked out for me. Okay. My problems with Dear Evan Hansen are two main problems. The first is the score. Let's talk about the score. Filled with sweeping, epic, beautiful power ballads, beautiful songs That is, that all sound the same. They all have the same Not structure. True. They all have, did you say not true? I would no, wholeheartedly true. disagree. They all have the same structure. I'm pulling up the track over, list right now. They are overly self-indulgent. There's nothing to differentiate. I'll pull up the track list too. I mean, there is there, there's nothing for me to distinguish waving through a window from words fail and for forever from words fail. And because you will be found those are from purposefully the same. Okay. Well, okay, keep going. I'll you can yeah. you can have a a unified musical idea and unified motifs that keep popping up, but they can't all just be the same song with different words. And that's what Dear Evan Hansen is. Can I tell you why you're wrong about that very Yeah, fast? sure. We'll, yeah, sure. So, Waving Through a Window and Words Fail are very similar. They have swaths of the, the same. same exact tune. And For Forever kind of is in that kind of triad as well, I think. They are sweeping, they are ballads, they are powerful, they are emotional. But if you then look at anybody have a map, Sincerely Me, Disappear, Good For You is a, such an underrated song 
that's an excellent song that doesn't sound like anything else. The upbeat songs, maybe in the same family, but to me, they don't sound the same. Like I left the theater remembering each of those distinctly as different moments in the show. Like, I think you can definitely make an argument that the ballads are all very similar. You could even include Requiem in with, you know, Waving Through a Window. And the fact that Waving Through a Window and For Forever are right next to each other, I think only makes that effect or only made that effect worse for you in this situation. Because you're like, I just heard a really emotional kind of power ballady kind of song. Why is there another one immediately one scene later i get that but when you go through like a song like if i could tell her does not sound like anything else in the show not even close and i I don't know it it definitely felt like it had a structure to me it was not monotonous in my brain anyway i see well i think i find it very monotonous but this is my second and more fundamental problem with dear evan hansen is that it has nothing constructive or worthwhile to say about current society or teenage life, and is altogether harmful. Evan Hansen is not a good person. He should not be portrayed as a good person. And I understand that in songs like Good For You, we see the characters finally realizing that Evan Hansen is a bad person and, you know, quote unquote, like making him pay for it. But his badness is excused throughout the entire show by the fact that he is presented as the ringing stereotype of social anxiety. I do not want to delve too deeply into my personal life because that's not what this podcast is about. But as someone with social anxiety, it upsets me to see this really reductive stereotype. And I understand that social anxiety comes in different forms. But I, I think when you put a character on this biggest stage and Dear Evan Hansen is as much of a cultural touchstone as it is, which I guess isn't really the fault of the musical itself. That's the fault of just it being so popular. It portrays this idea that, okay, this is social anxiety in its one and true form. That upsets me. And I really find so often not always but so often that people who are not currently teenagers do not have the proper know-how to write about teenage life once you get too far away from that it becomes reductive and i find you will be found i struggle to talk about this but i think that you will be found and the discussions of mental illness in this show are really one-dimensional and don't actually help beyond giving somebody a momentary boot. This was my problem with Greatest Showman, to tie it back with This Is Me and Greatest Showman, is that it's this huge, big anthem. You walk out, you're like, yeah, individuality and you know, be who you want to be and all that stuff. But there's nothing of substance there beyond this fleeting feeling that a super rich artist understands you. That is not real. Yeah, I think everything you just said is is definitely valid. I think I would probably argue that it's more something that has come out of the culture around Dear Evan Hansen than Dear Evan Hansen itself. Hmm. Well, Paskin Paul, if you don't know this kind of story behind why they decided to write it in the first place, it's because when they were in high school, 
or no, I think one of them, because they were not in high school together. One of them in high school was in a high school where a classmate had taken his own life. And they remembered feeling so off-put by the fact that people who did not even know this person were very performatively mm-hmm. and disgustingly making these tributes and pretending that they really did know that person and care about them for clout when it was the case that that mm-hmm. just was not true. And I think that is something that they did portray pretty accurately, especially when they brought social media into it. But when it does come to social anxiety, I think every point that you made was spot on. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, like, I mean, I wouldn't know yeah. what that is like. So right. I, I see that and I hear that for sure. But yeah, I think it did just, kind of come out from a wider thing. And by the time you saw it too, it w- had already become that thing. Yeah. So I think it was oh, probably 100%. even more present in your experience of watching it than it was in mine. That's that's t- absolutely fair. And I think Pacey Compulse set out Pasek. I think Pasek and Paul set out to <laughs> to write this this complicated protagonist. I think they just screwed it up. I think they made him too sympathetic. If you really want me to get behind the idea that that what Evan is doing is morally wrong, then you need to present him as something other than someone to take pity on. Yeah, so. I think that's that's fair too. I think there are, yeah, they could have hit the moments where people are criticizing Evan much harder than, yes. than they did. At least for me, I didn't walk out feeling like Evan was excused for his actions primarily because of the final scene i think when evan and zoe meet up again a year later and zoe says man i wish you hadn't done that because if i met you today a year later after you after you've done a lot of reflecting and growing and are a better person presumably a year later after all of this went down maybe I would get to know you, maybe I would like you, but I don't because of the pain you inflicted on my family. Sure. And and I, I left that moment feeling like he's growing as we all should be given the grace to grow, but he's not excused for what he did. I see. All right. Well, um, that was a romp. Was that a romp? I think that was a romp. That was kind a solid a, romp. An intense romp, but not a bad romp. No, not at all. It was a it was a romp through some of the works of uh, Paul and his uh, unpronounceable partner. Pasek. It's not. It's like pa- what? What is? What can I compare it to so you remember? Pasek, like basket, but Pasek. Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. But Lou, I have some detestable news for you. Almost that like is to test Dear Evan Hansen. That is correct. L- look at that. It all ties in. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, yep. uh, this episode of your Wednesday matinee is closed after just one performance. But luckily, we'll be back in two weeks with another one night only can't miss theatrical event. And if you just cannot wait another two weeks for your Broadway radio fix. I know I can't. Well, neither can I, so tune in to the Best of Broadway each and every Sunday morning from 10 to noon on 92 WICB. Listen on 91.7 FM in Ithaca, New York, or stream from anywhere on WICB.org. 
And to hear the music we discussed in today's show, check out 92WICB on Spotify for a custom-made playlist. We'd also like to thank Epidemic Sound for our intro and outro music. If there is anything you would like us to put on the podcast stage, send us an email at matinee at wicb.org. And be sure to follow us for more content at WICB Podcasts on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. 